Hello. <laughs> All right, let's do that. No, Take no, no, no. two. Three, two, one. Hello. Hi, this is Chris. This is Nick, and this is the uh, Shakespeare Tavern podcast. Yes, and uh, this for this podcast, we are interviewing Jeff Watkins, the artistic director. We are. It's our first episode, our maiden voyage here. Hopefully, it will be a long and fruitful enjoyment of uh, podcasting on the internet. So please forgive us for our first time. Uh, we're newbies. We're young ones. Padawans, if you will, <laughs> in the Shakespeare <laughs> podcasting world. But yeah, so yeah, uh, once again, I'm Nick Faircloth. And this is Chris Rushing. And uh, yeah, so our first interview is with our big boss man, Jeffrey Watkins. He's our fearless leader here. And um, we, we interviewed him and realized as we were going through it, that he's just a wealth of information. Yeah, it's quite a long story. So we focused the first interview on the origins of the company and uh, his original ideas behind the what would eventually become the Atlanta Shakespeare Tavern. And his origins, you know, him, you know, his training. Up, yeah, mm-hmm. and all his influences with that. So we've got that coming up for you. Um, and coming up this month in May at the Shakespeare Tavern, we've got Comedy of Errors. Uh, you can find all that lovely info on shakespeartavern.com. And yeah, this is it, sort of. This is a. We'll see how this goes. Please enjoy. Here we go, Jeffrey Watkins. So you're from Texas, right? I am originally Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas, yeah. Do you mm-hmm. still have family there? You know, I don't. Uh, no? There were four children in my family my mother and my dad. Uh, my parents have passed, and all four children have scattered to the winds. Yeah. Yeah, we're all over the place, and uh, very few. Co- I don't even think I have any cousins in Dallas. Yeah, did you? Did you? How long were you there when you were a kid, though? Oh, I was there all the way through my undergraduate years. I went to the same elementary, middle, and high school, and college actually as, as my siblings. So right, the fourth of four. Did you get into theater? In Dallas, or was that? When oh yeah, was, when was yeah. that first? My dad was a magician, so I started out doing magic tricks when I was about six years old. I still have that little trick somewhere in my in a drawer. And uh, I guess moving up through, you know, the church pageants and stuff like that, I was cool. one of those people with the cardboard things. I played a donkey once and got accolades for my family. And, um, awesome. And then I believe, just as I was going into high school, I, I actually played Bilbo Baggins. Wow. And, uh, I was 13 at the time, and I was actually taller than everybody. Awesome. Uh, but, uh, I, <laughs> that had to look great. It did. It did. It did. Uh, I remember the line that my friend Steve uh, says, dwarves, Mr. Baggins, dwarves like locusts. And I just remember that line for whatever reason. But <laughs> the only person in the cast taller than me played Gandalf, and he was like very tall. I mean, these are very gangly teenage people. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. So you and were in The Hobbit before it was cool. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. It was not cool. <laughs> and I mean, was that where, like, you know, it, it first got you when you're a kid, like, seeing your dad doing magic stuff and then sort of being around the church environment and the, you know, the, the spectacle of the, the thing? Uh, uh, there's a number of factors that went into it. I do remember my sister was a musician. She played the piano and was practicing all the time because in those days you had practice contests. But mm. she was a, a very fine pianist, and she actually accompanied uh, with another pianist a production of Camelot 
which was uh, the school musical, and I saw every performance of that, and I just thought it was it just hung the moon for me. Uh, so that was a very early experience that really turned me on to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Shakespeare came when, um, and actually I tell this story fairly frequently, mm-hmm. which is uh, uh, the the 72 production of um, Romeo and Juliet that Franco Zeffirelli did. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, my sister wanted to go see that, and she and her girlfriend wanted to go to the movie, and I think she had the driver's license at that time. I had to be like 12 or 13. And my mother said, uh, well, you can go if you take your little brother. Because, you know, she wanted a little peace and quiet. So right, they right. had to take me. Yeah. And I didn't know what I was going to see. But we went to see Romeo and Juliet. And then I don't know if you remember Olivia Hussey in that red dress. But oh, my I do. God. We, <laughs> we watched it in high school. They yeah. showed it to us in high school. Yep. And we had to get a permission slip signed. Yep. I remember that. From our parents. Because there's like a little flash. flash of, oh, it oh, is the, such a brief bear flash. Sketch, but oh my yeah. heavens. Yeah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> but it was so great. I remember we were watching it in my high school and it was like overpopulated high school and there was yeah. a tra- it was in a trailer. <laughs> right? So we're in a trailer. They got the TV up there and kids are just falling asleep and stuff. And the three of us who were awake and saw that flash because it comes like in the... The, they just got married. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the three of us who are awake are like, oh, wow, you know? And the rest <laughs> of the class woke up like, oh, what? Do we miss it? Oh, man, I got that thing signed. So I can, oh. <laughs> See, my whole class was waiting with bated breath for that moment. Like, we'd yeah. all got the, the form signed, so they knew it was coming. And it happened, <laughs> just like this roar, this cheer, and then it was just back to ignoring Shakespeare after it ended. Awesome. I know my mother didn't know about that. <laughs> Did you yeah. find out later? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't imagine she saw that movie for a long time. Maybe she saw it when it came on television. But uh, I went nuts, and yeah. I actually <laughs> took my uh, my uh, lawnmower money and I bought the soundtrack. And I didn't buy the soundtrack, soundtrack for that right. moment because, of course, it's it's, it's a vinyl disc. Right. And then I discovered my brother had it, so I would stack them so I could listen to side A and B without having to change it. And I, I literally awesome. remember lying on the oh, the carpet, and we had these cotton rugs, and I can still smell them, even feel it against my cheek. And yeah. I would just lie there, and I would put it on, and I would hear that ba ba da ba 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 da ba, down with your weapons, down with your weapons, and all that good did stuff. Did they have? Did they have on the soundtrack like stuff dialogue? Yeah, they had yeah, dialogue, they had uh, uh, a fair amount, uh, yeah. just little snippets of dialogue. Yeah. But the dialogue was there, and then mm-hmm. yeah, you had you had the big. That's scenes. great. Like when you're a kid, that imagination where it's oh. got like. I mean, Man. I remember listening to like musicals and stuff mm-hmm. when I was a kid and laying yeah. down and it was, putting those records yeah. on and just all that imagery coming to your mind, no matter what the staging was for the show or whatever, you know, it's just, it's endless possibilities every time you listen to it, you know. So that's kind of where that's it got great. started. Yeah. Now, there was also a theater company in Dallas. It was the Dallas Theater Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a man named Paul Baker, that was, uh, he actually was friends with Frank Lloyd Wright, who designed that. Uh, but he, he um, had a drama department. Actually, it used to be in Waco at Baylor University, but he left there with his entire faculty because he was doing long days journey into night, and I think they had the word damn. Yeah, uh, it several was, times. It was, yeah, yeah, it was a huge, yeah. huge folder all about that. So he just took his his whole department and left and went to Trinity University. Mm. Uh, and uh, he did an undergraduate program at Trinity. That's where I ultimately went. But he created his graduate program at the Dallas Theater Center. And my high school drama teacher was a product of this man's training process. Oh, cool. And his, uh, you know, a lot of our company values actually come from his company (laughs) because I was very young at the time, but my mother, you know, she would take me to these plays and they weren't doing Shakespeare or anything. But I I noticed right off that the person selling me tickets at the box office was somebody I'd seen on stage a couple of months earlier. Nice. And, uh, And Paul Baker used to walk around in the lobby ringing the bell when it came time for the audience to go in. That was one of his rituals. And wow. stuff and uh, 
but you know, it was a very it was a company orientation from the get go that I, I I became exposed to, and I don't know if I decided then that that's what I wanted was a company, but. You know, so many people in undergraduate theater, you know, they want a company and they want a company experience. But there's so many things that collude to, to, to make that impossible. And I asked my teachers, I said, so what about the Shakespeare? And they said, well, it's a combination of, of Greek, Roman, and medieval. So uh, <laughs> if you can do all those three, Shakespeare is as easy as falling off a log backwards. Uh, and, uh, and well, I restoration thought, is so bizarre. It, yeah. is, it is. It really? is very much so. Like, so. But I thought that was a cop-out. And, and I'm oh, sure yeah. It was. And yeah. they didn't uh, teach us any Shakespeare. And then um, there was a big house cleaning my senior year. And they fired the entire faculty, brought in a new chairman and a, and a whole lot of other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he immediately thought these these kids need to do some Shakespeare. So he, he programmed Romeo and Juliet in the spring. And uh, I got cast as Mercutio, which, as we all know, Fun. is, is oh. just like cotton candy for an actor. Yeah. And uh, that was my only Shakespeare experience. And he, he didn't give us any preparation. He didn't teach us about the Shakespeare. We had no approach to it. Just you know, that was just it. a show he was directing. Uh, and and it was his first stab. Now he actually was a, a big mover at the Colorado Shakespeare Festival, mm-hmm. and I found out later, many years later, that he had directed down there for many many years and all that kind of good stuff. He had a PhD at this time. Uh, he was a younger man, but so that was my only Shakespeare experience, and I had no, um, I guess, creative matrix for that. And I had Were a, you just like sort of ripping off the Zeffirelli? Uh, Mercutio. <laughs> well, you know that was my only point of reference. Yeah, but, and, and yeah. I had a bitchin' costume yeah. that was uh, actually <laughs> was actually was an awful costume. They had to pin me into it every night. You only get to do two weeks there, and it was uh, some kind of upholstery fabric that was very scratchy on the inside. Uh. And they had they had gotten a marker and traced around some of it. You know, <laughs> tights and shoes, right. and they tried to make their weapons in the in the scene shop, which you know you, that's not going to work. These fall apart. And yeah, it, yeah right. So, uh, and my best friend was playing Romeo. I enough and uh, but there's no doubling so once I died I was done and of course I die fairly early and as a college production you know it's three hours and 40 minutes long so I would die and then I would just leave the building nice and I'd go down to a friend's (laughs) dorm and we'd hang out for a good long time and it was great yeah and then I would uh, come back and I'd I'd look in the back and there's my my buddy out there working his tail off in the uh, in the tomb scene (laughs) one time he's working his tail off in the tomb scene and there's Tybalt's shoe it's still there in the tomb scene (laughs) (laughs) and uh, and then I got to do curtain call which of course was just you know how much fun is that yeah. so uh, i knew there was power there but i didn't get any training so when i went out into the world i was looking for the shakespeare where the power was yeah and i didn't find it hardly anywhere now how do you get from there to atlanta so like, uh, out of college, um, a lot of people went straight. Uh, that what they were going to do is they're going to kind of gradually go to larger and larger markets. So I went to college in San Antonio, Texas. So a lot of people would go to Austin or Dallas, uh, and uh, you know they were thinking they're going to work their way up to New right. York. Uh, or they went to Chicago or they went to various places. And I just thought, well, you know, forget this. I'm just going to go straight to New York and see what that's like. And what was that like? Well, man, that, that's a that's a rough place. Uh, and in retrospect, you know, I didn't I didn't have, again, no context. Uh, but I was up there. I auditioned a lot and I didn't get any work for the longest time. I also was doing street magic and that was extraordinarily good training for all kinds of good things. Uh, but um, I did find myself a part of a um, a classical company for a short while that was run by a, 
I mean, he wasn't a, a Nazi, but you know, he's a, <laughs> he was quite a disciplinarian, if you will. And he, he was he, a soup Nazi. Yeah, he was a soup Nazi, <laughs> is what he was. But he had very clear ideas, and he was doing street theater, so he didn't have to. You know, we, we were doing these pieces, and then you know, uh, we'd take us out, and we'd go to a park with no permit or anything. We'd do this thing, and then he'd take us back, and then read us the right act and tell us why we we sucked so badly. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he, he, I don't know, we don't do the bop game anymore. We called it dirty words at that time, and he encouraged profanity. And right. uh, you kind of have to be in the room for that. But yeah, uh, yeah. it was an interesting, in- interesting thing. And then I uh, continued to uh, audition around. I was fortunate. My aunt and uncle had a twelve-room apartment in New York City. Wow, Ooh. nice! Uh, that is it, a hotel. Room. It is yeah. at one hundred twenty-second and Broadway. He was a, a tenured professor at, at uh, Union Theological Seminary, uh, and all of their kids had left home, so they actually had a you know just a sequence of rooms at the end of the hall. And she said mm. I could stay there. Uh, for as long as I wanted, uh, we we did finally come to understand that that really wasn't an open ended invitation. But, uh, <laughs> but what I had to do was um, uh, was empty the dishwasher because she hated emptying the dishwasher, and she told me that dependence breeds resentment, and this is true in almost every situation I've ever encountered. Hmm. And uh, and she said she wanted me to do this one thing for her, and she said I won't feed you, but there will always be hot bread here because I make bread all the time and. Help yourself to that. I don't want you to starve. But after, aside from that, you're on your own. So actually, I did have quite a leg up in terms of assistance because right. living in New York is brutal. That's the worst. And extremely yeah. expensive. Yeah. Um, and all you had to do was unload some dishes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I could make enough money to feed myself by doing magic tricks on the street. Right. Uh, and so that's what I was doing. And um, it was interesting. I, I met a lot of phenomenally interesting people. My My cousin... Uh, my aunt's oldest son was a, a piano accompanist for the the Martha Graham School. So cool. when I got to go to parties, um, it was the Martha Graham Company. Wow. And uh, a very, very high upper echelon of uh, of New York's, you know, artistic yeah. intelligentsia, so to speak, oh, the practicing yeah. artists. And I was uh, Jeff's, I mean, I was Tim's cousin from Texas who did magic. Now, doing, <laughs> magic, doing magic on the street, you know, hours a day, yeah. I was pretty darn sharp. And, oh, uh, yeah. you know, I had an hour and 45 minutes worth of material and made the mistake at one of those parties of doing all of it. Oops. I, I, oh, that, that, I was a god among men. I mean, yeah. I could do no wrong. I, I just went through the bag, did everything I could. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't that long, but it was a lot of magic. <laughs> and then they had me back the next month and said, you now can what? do some more magic for us. And it's like, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what am I going to do? I did everything last time. So I learned to be a little more judicious with, uh, you know, um, revealing everything that I had to offer, so to speak. But it was, a, it was I did make the, the connection at one point that I was at two parties where there were people people who had been cast multiple times as guests at parties in Woody Allen films. That is mm. awesome. So I'm at the party. Yeah. With the pe- yeah so that's it. You know, yeah. I kept thinking to myself, man, if I was a dancer, this would be so cool. <laughs> right. This would be like where it is. And, but, uh, it was phenomenally interesting being in New York at that time. And, uh, it wasn't, then I started, actually I got a couple of jobs and I got one touring. You know, there are people who had connections and people who had connections and money and people mm-hmm. who had connections, money and more talent than me mm-hmm. who still were starving to death. So I thought maybe this isn't for me. And one of those little things, I did get through Chicago, and I had some buddies that I went to, to college with, and we kind of got this idea to start a theater company uh, in Chicago. And uh, and that's what we did, because I left uh, New York and then went to Chicago. 
And that could be its own podcast. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you go there and then you you come down to Atlanta. In well, Atlanta. I was in Chicago for two or three years, maybe almost three, three and a half years. Yeah. And uh, now during this time when I was up there, I kept I had this yearning to you know, go to a really top flight uh, you know, drama school, you know, so I tried to get into ART, the American Repertory Theater's Advanced Institute for Theatrical Studies. Right. That didn't work out. No. I tried out for Juilliard twice. Oh, that yeah. didn't work out. <laughs> tried out for RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, yeah. right. as though I'm going to get a full scholarship to move <laughs> to London. <clears throat> oh, the delusions of the young. But um, so I was going around the country and stuff, and I would bop back to Dallas, work for my dad for a little bit. And, but anyway, I'd bop back there and make yeah. a little bit of money, then drive sure. up to New York, see people. And on one of those legs from Dallas to New York, I took a detour to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I saw my dear friend Prissy Smith, who uh, was working with the Acme Theater. She's still still here in town, very active with Eye Drum and some uh, other art scenes and cool. here in town. But I visited her, and she had a company uh, with some friends. It was an arts collective, um, and uh, I got involved with them. And just they gave me a place to live as long as I was in this place. So I stayed with them for two or three months. Um, and the precursor to that company was called the Acme Theater. Was actually the Atlanta Shakespeare Association, oh. and it was uh, just a few people. And they'd done a couple of productions. And uh, I met the lady who was into the Shakespeare. This is before a lot of people split off and did Acme. And uh, we hit it off, and we had this notion that I would direct a Shakespeare play for her. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then I uh, told her, I'm going to do that. First, I want to go to Europe because I want to see the great theater companies yeah, of Europe. Yeah. So I did that, hitchhiked around Europe, lived in hostels and that kind of thing. How long were you doing that? Uh, 10, 12 weeks maybe. That's awesome. That's I stayed perfect. in Paris and studied uh, um, corporeal mime yeah. uh, with <laughs> the disciples of Etienne de Creux. Naturally. Uh, and you know, talked <laughs> Who to, hasn't? to German <laughs> girls and <laughs> – I remember there was a moment there, put to, put to place it in time, uh, I, I came into class and everybody was looking at I was only American there, it was mostly Germans and, and Dutch and some French, and they're looking at me and I said, well, what's up? And they go, well, you, you, know, you, you know, your country just, just, just staged an invasion. I said, what? They said, the United States invaded another country. And I said, these are the words I said. I said, don't be silly. The United States doesn't invade countries. Oh, boy. And it was Grenada is what it was. Right. You know? so, uh, <laughs> wow. And sure enough, the, the Herald Tribune right there, we're Surprise. invading another country. <laughs> Get him! <laughs> so, uh, but then I was studying my, you know, corporeal mime at that time, which is... Not pantomime. I don't know it's, if I want to ask what the difference is between corporeal mime and regular mime. Am I opening up? Well, actually, uh, Marcel Marceau's teacher was a man named Etienne de Creux. Mm-hmm. And in the movement, uh, the world of movement theater, he is the Pablo Picasso of movement theater. And what I mean by that is he reinvented the art form no less than six times during his 50-some-odd-year mm-hmm. career as a performer. So... What we know of as pantomime was, you know, something he did for about three or four years, and then Marceau made that famous. Right. But uh, from there, he went into, I mean, if you can imagine, if you see a, a Picasso painting where it's somewhat realistic and it's all mm-hmm. blue, that's one thing. And then, you know, you go a couple of things down the way, and it's, you know, it's, it's nine ways to something. Right. It's incredibly physical. It's somewhat abstract. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's extremely demanding. Um it, it it was a fascinating time and 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 really interesting. Um, 
I'm so glad that I did that. But you know, I wish I had the physical capability to continue doing that. But uh, it's for the young. It is for the young. <laughs> it is for the young. I remember there's one exercise where you had to stand on on the floor and using only your toes, you had to drag your whole self in a standing position, thirty feet. Oh God. my. To God. strengthen the toes. Uh, it was like, oh, it was just in my feet. Oh, God. The blisters. And, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah, on the yeah, toes. Yeah. Sounds like yep. black swan. Yep. <laughs> there were three teachers uh, called Zero Teatra and, the, you know, the Zero Theater. And to watch them in action because, yeah. you know, they would, you know, we, we'd do the theater game where you trade the, the, you know, the ball back and forth. Sure. They did this thing on a cosmic level. It was, it just blow your mind. Wow. Incredible. While you were while you were in Europe, was there a company or a production that stands out to you? Yeah, uh, the um, Théâtre du Soleil was uh, a French company. Her name was Ariane Mushkin, I believe, and uh, I saw her production of Richard the Second. I also saw her production of Twelfth Night, uh, and uh, of course, this is high concept, which works really, really well if you get a trade. You know, change cultures and change languages in in sure. some ways. So it was in French. But the, yeah, yeah, it was in French, uh, and it was sold out. You know, three months before I even got there. But I, I found out from my artist friends that if you go out to the place at two p.m. and you're willing to wait, they'll get you in. Yeah. And uh, this was outside of Paris. Um, oh, I don't know, ninety minutes outside of Paris, in an old uh, World War II bomber factory. It's this massive, massive mm. building, cool. and they had these long runways that went to these little pavilions. And in order to speak Shakespeare, you had to come out of a pavilion at a dead run, and you had to run. <laughs> What had to be uh, 30 to 40 yards God. to get to center stage, take your position and speak. And uh, it was done in a, a Suzuki uh, Japanese thing. So yeah. they had these layers upon layers of these exquisite costumes with wow. this high drama makeup, kabuki. Right. And, yeah, and, kabuki. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> and, uh, and they had this low way of running and, and uh, got the athleticism <laughs> just to speak anything. Wow. Uh, so th- I, that was a an amazing conceptual production that I saw. Um, I did learn things that I do apply in what we do here, although it's almost its diametric opposite. I also saw the Teatro Piccolo de Milan, which did a production of The Tempest that I'll never forget. Uh, I saw a conceptual production of Macbeth that had just two actors. Uh, it was uh, the spirit of Lady and Lord Macbeth, and they were called into existence by every production that was ever done. Hmm. So they had to live through each production so you got to see the opera you got to see the high school pageant you got to huh. see the high hmm. drama That's and really it cool. had had a, a playhouse kind of thing like a harry potter thing a lot yeah. of technical capacity i also uh did make it to london and i saw uh, derek jacoby play cyrano de bergerac twice i went back wow. the next night and he did benedict and uh and prospero in the same repertory uh, phenomenally interesting. Uh, the, the Cyrano was unbelievable. I remember standing in the alley outside the theater uh, watching the stage door to see if he would come out, and he did come out, and he was very nice to the people. I stayed away. I was like, you know, 30 feet away, and I just watched him from a distance in awe as he had his, his overcoat on. He was signed autographs. He was very gracious, but wow. I don't know why. I, I, I didn't feel like I could speak to him. But Yeah, yeah. And that, so... Yeah, and you do that, then you come back and direct for 
the Atlanta Shakespeare Company. Oh, get back Society. to the Atlanta Shakespeare Company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I came back to the Atlanta Shakespeare uh, well, Atlanta Shakespeare Association. Yeah. And I, I show up in Atlanta. ASS, uh, correct. Yeah, no, more ASS. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. We're all children. the logo yeah. now. Yeah. But, uh, so I got back to Atlanta, and um, uh, the the woman who, who had it, just, you know, the one who was going to let me do the play, was ready to move to New York. And she said, I'm moving to Ooh. New York. I'm going to go into the publishing business. And I said, well, what about the play? And she goes, well, what about it? And I said, well, you know, I'd like to do it. Well, I don't know what to tell you, Jeff. I'm moving. And I said, well, what about the company? And she said, well, what about it? And I said, can I have it? <laughs> <laughs> and so ultimately, she, uh, what she did was uh, the company had a $1,000 grant to produce As You Like It. Uh, and, um, and the company also owed her $2,000. So I thought, well, you know, how hard could it be to make $2,000? You know, I'll, I'll tell you what, let me have the company. We'll pay you your money back. And the company, as it were, consisted of a rack of costumes, those two marble benches. You st- I think we might have used one in Caesar. You know, those, The white ones? Those white marble benches. That's from then? That's from then. They look that old. They do. <laughs> and I have some costumes wow. from, from way back then as well. Wow. So, uh, but that's pretty much all there was to it. Yeah. I don't even know if there were any lighting instruments. It seemed like I got a couple of lighting instruments out of the deal. And um, Where did y'all perform in it? We performed in the back <clears throat> actually it wasn't the back room. We performed at seven stages. Dell Hamilton had a had a theater that a little bit bigger than his second space now. Mm-hmm. And when he wasn't producing he would rent it out to anybody who, who could do it. And so he got me my my start there. I had uh four weeks or maybe five I think I only had four weeks at uh seven stages and it was about the time uh, the Alliance who used to do a Shakespeare play every year was doing a production of Julius Caesar where everybody had these big giant black coats and it was on an iron scaffolding and there was a giant uh, a white ball mm-hmm. uh, and it was a big concept production they used to they were banging on the the scaffolding with iron pipes to make a lot of racket and the audiences were just infuriated by it and um, what I knew about Shakespeare at that point was almost nothing the only thing I really knew was I don't understand it well enough to monkey with it. <laughs> so the idea was I will put this play on the stage in its simplest and purest form and see what it wants to be. Right. What is its essential nature without me applying anything to it? So I went in. Um, I think even one of the things I said to the cast was, you know, that director directs best, which directs least. That went over well. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I did have a, a, a kind of a bastardized vocal technique and a physical technique because I, I had the mime and I yeah. did have a good voice teacher in college. So I had a company warm up and some other stuff that we would do. Uh, I used to drive some of the actors nuts because they didn't think that they needed to warm up uh, <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I'm here. That's enough. That's <laughs> enough. That's enough. <laughs> so, uh, from me? but very few people came. But we weren't losing our shirts. You know, I was I was spending the grant, and uh, everybody was getting a percentage of the gate, that kind of thing. Uh, and but we would go to manuals and drink because that's where actors drink, and that's where journalists right. drink, and that's where politicos drink, and that's Still where policemen do. drink, <laughs> and it's the same way now. And uh, we're having a good time there. And I said, man, we ought to be doing the Shakespeare here at manuals. This is where the audience is. You know, because they're not coming to my theater. Ding. And this is where it is. And everybody laughed and they thought that was funny. So I would use the joke uh, for the rest of the week. Yeah. And I found myself at a, 
party, and I said that, and a lady came up to me and said, what a great idea. I'm trying to find the entertainment for a, 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 a campaign uh, event for Manuel Maloof. And, I, and so, so she actually got us to, to, to be the entertainment at Manuel's Tavern for, for his campaign. For his campaign. Hmm. Because he uh, became the the DeKalb <clears throat> County. Yeah, he was a Democrat, and yeah. he was a DeKalb County chairman. Yeah, uh, and he phenomenally interesting fellow. Oh, yeah. I remember he said um, he had a little speech, uh, he, and one of the issues was adult entertainment in DeKalb County. And uh, I remember it went like, uh, "So you know, there are a lot of people here that what they want to do is they want to tell you what you can and cannot say." At uh, in a club here in DeKalb County. Now, you won't pay $25 to see a bunch of people roll around on the floor. That's your own damn business. Tonight, we're going to see Shakespeare. (laughs) 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 But he was, uh, one time he told me once, he goes, you know, Jeff, you know what your problem is? You're arrogant. You're just too damn arrogant. You know, so that was that was one of my problems when I was a younger man. But the uh, the uh, it was, he was a colorful character. But all the journalists came, yeah. you know, because it's his public, you know, his thing, and it got written up in the Wall Street Journal. That's awesome. And uh, so uh, the um, the other things that happened, you know, tying it to what we currently do, such a small room, so difficult mm-hmm. uh, that you couldn't light the actors without lighting everybody, so everybody could see each other. Yeah. So there was no light design in the traditional sense of yeah, the audience right. being in the dark. Turned out to be a really good thing. Very communal. Uh, the actors are right in the face of the audience, and you couldn't ignore them because you could see them. Mm-hmm. Actors instinctually would be very happy to engage an audience if they can see them. Right. Uh, as it started to work as a comedy, I had one phenomenally good actress. She's still here in town, Marianne Frollo. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was uh, accessing. She was the only professional in the group, and she just drug us by our heels all the way Toes. into her, into the production <laughs> to get it up to the level where she could she could really drive that play and um she knew so much more than i did and had so much more experience but uh, i really owe her a great debt of gratitude but she uh she and and she knew how to play that audience and we followed her lead and uh, we were interrupted because we didn't turn the lights off to get right. applause we were interrupted right. By applause 23 times, I started making chicken scratches. Awesome. Wow. So I'm kind of embarrassed to say that, but I, I'd never had that experience. Yeah. And uh, it went over like gangbusters because, you know, they, they clapped three times and they thought, oh, they're clapping between scenes. This mm-hmm. is going to be very awkward when they stop. <laughs> they never did. Uh, and it just really went over well. So yeah, we're having fun. That's the whole point. I mean, that's, you know, absolutely what it was. And so what, well, yes, but I had no yeah. idea. Really. Yeah. Yeah. As a street the, performer, I yeah. could tell what was happening. Yeah. But as an academic, I had no credentials. So when, when was the epiphany that, that this is original practice? When did that come into it? Since you said it started off as kind of a happy accident with everyone being lit and y'all just talked to the audience because you had to, when, when was that transition into what we now call original practice? Okay. Well, uh, I'll, I'll, first, I'm going to I'm going to finish this story just so you know why sure. it is I'm still here in Atlanta. Okay. And then I'm get right back to that point. So we did this for four days, and we took it all apart, and we moved the, st- the costumes back to my apartment and everything. And I broke down the platforms, so and they were packed in there too. So I two room apartment, one of which is full of theater stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm sitting at home at two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, and I'm, I'm there phone rings and it's, uh, <clears throat> it's, uh, CNN and they say, Hey, we, they just gotten started actually. They, oh, wow. they were saying, Hey, uh, you know, we hear you're doing Shakespeare down at Manuel's Tavern. We want to send, send a crew down to, you know, to, 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 to film it. And I said, Oh, uh, Oh, I'm, I'm, well, we just did it. It was great. You wouldn't believe it. You know, we closed it last night and everybody goes, Oh, you're not doing it now. And I said, well, no. Well, okay. Well, we only cover live events. 
Oh, okay. Well, thanks for calling. I thought, hey, man, how cool is this? CNN calls. Yeah. So then, you know, within the hour, Entertainment Tonight calls. Wow. They Very say, hard. Yeah, there it is. They, they say, <laughs> I don't think it was that guy. So he calls and he says, hey, we're here. You're doing Shakespeare down at Manuel's Town. We'd like to send a crew down there and get some get some footage. And I said, oh, well, well we just did it this last week. Let me tell you about it. He goes, what? Uh, you're not doing it now? And I said, well, no. Oh, well, you only cover current events. So, you know, so if you ever do it again, let us know. So he hangs the phone. I'm sitting there going, man, this is so cool. Look at this, getting this kind of attention and everything. Phone rings again. CBS News. <laughs> and, and I pick it up. And the guy goes, uh, we understand you're doing Shakespeare down at, at Manuel's Tavern. I go, yeah, yeah. We closed it last night. And we're doing it again in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I got his number. Did I rem- you call all of them back? I did. I did. Yeah. And actually, uh, I didn't mention, I actually lived in the North Highland Apartments across the street from this bar. So I hang up and I go running over there. Robert yeah. Maloof was Manuel's uh, brother. And yeah, he's yeah. the one I had to deal with. So I, I got, got Robert in there and I said, look, CBS News, Entertainment Tonight, CNN <laughs> News, they all want to do a story on us, but they'll only do it if we do it again. I got permission to do it again. The yeah. company came back. Uh, we did get coverage. We had the Wall Street Journal already. The New York Times covered us. CBS wow. covered us. CNN covered us. And the National Restaurant Association Trade Journal. Mm. That's and, awesome. Uh, so getting back to uh, uh, how we came to the notion this might be something close to original practice is uh, uh, I had a friend. Uh, I didn't know she was my friend at the time, but it was a, 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 a professor of Renaissance literature at Oxford College, Emory University. Her name is Gretchen Schultz. And she started coming to these things at Manuel's Town. Because I, what I did was I did another one the next year. Mm-hmm. And then I did another one the year after. I tried doing it at the Masquerade. It used to be at um, the um, Excelsior Mill at that time. But yeah. it was working at Manuel's in a big way. And I think the third show I did, Gretchen introduced herself. And she was so excited as an academic because she had stumbled upon a performance experience of Shakespeare that she thought was true to the spirit of the real thing. Right. And as an academic, of course, she had spent you know years and years seeing the modern approach to Shakespeare, oh, which we could talk about in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Conceptual approach, yeah. auteur direction, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And she started to. She said she wanted to do a study guide, uh, you know, so you know for the play. And I said, a study guide? What would I want to do that for? She goes, well, so for students. Students, you know, it hadn't even occurred to me that somebody might be interested <laughs> in, in bringing young people to see the I'm going to teach somebody something? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but uh, so she was going to do that, and I found myself in her apartment while she was writing up the synopsis and things, and she's, she's giving me books and things and showing me. She said, this is what it was. And I said, you know, I, I like to think of it as the Elizabethan performance reality, you know, and that was a phrase that I came up with. Cool. And then so she started going, you know, going, oh, it's exactly like that. It isn't the way it is in modern theater now. And, you know, there's so much that I learned from that gen. But, you know, she, you know, she gave me some really succinct, uh, you know, analysis and some good essays on things. And she fully believed in, that I was on the right track. Uh, the, the critic in town wanted to kill my company. He thought I was a hack. He thought what? I was a P.T. Barnum. He said that my audience were, were rhubarbs guffawing into their beer. And I should, I should not be. Those benches don't even look real. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but no he, one would have a marble bench he, like he that. He would come and he would, he, he would sit through a show that had, I mean, I'm telling you, the laughter is bouncing off the walls. The audience is going nuts. Everything's working like crazy. I'm selling every ticket. I'm, I'm making money doing theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, the marketing was, was 
was effortless. I'd just put it on the answering machine, send off some postcards, and we're going crazy. And then I'd wake up the next morning and, and, and read it, you know, just what an awful production it was, <laughs> how it wasn't funny, and how, you know, it's this at the expense of that, and we have no respect for the text, and all these things going on. Nobody and was laughing. Nobody was It's amazing fun. how those guys can convince themselves of yeah. that fact sometimes. Yeah. Uh, he actually turned out, because, you know, I wonder, who is this guy trying to kill me? And uh, the uh, he had his, a, ma- a master's degree in dramatic criticism from Yale. He's a, you know very highly intellectual. Dramatic wow. criticism. Uh, uh, <laughs> his name is Dan, Dan Holbert, rest his soul. And uh, but he was a, a real impediment, uh, yeah. you know, to what it was that we were doing. And to some degree, I had to learn to talk about what I did to defend myself. Right? Yeah. And uh, that's when I began to come up with uh, language to describe what it was that I was trying to do. You know, not the, the non-directing of Shakespeare. Right. Uh, trying to discover its essential nature, choosing yeah. not to gild the lily, trying not to make a modern statement of any kind at the expense of the play, the Elizabethan performance reality, the presence of the audience, uh, the formula. Uh, you, well, you could say it that <laughs> way. But the uh, so I started to, to to try to find ways to defend myself to say these are intentional choices. This isn't an accident, uh, and we are succeeding. Uh, you know, because he would tell me that it was. Uh, I remember once we did uh, uh, Taming of the Shrew. Uh, this is one of the later plays. Uh, the opening night was as triumphant an opening night as we have ever had in the history of the company. Uh, my, uh, I was dating Jay, my current wife, mm-hmm. my only wife. <laughs> <laughs> current, and uh, you hear that, Jay? <laughs> Jay, if you're listening, then, sorry. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, uh, and then we were partying like crazy, and uh, and I remember, you know, the audience went nuts. They hung around afterwards. Uh, they they left, and Dan was there, and you know, she knew that he had been after me, and she walks up to him. He says, "Does my sweetie?" know what he's doing or what that was her comment to the critic mm-hmm. so we continued to party well into the night and in those days uh the next day the review would be in the paper yeah and uh, one of my actors knew that and he went out and got an advanced copy and he comes back and the headline is lame direction hobbles asc taming of the shrew right so that's my dewey wins if you will isn't that always the case though you'll think you're like oh my god we had the best show in the world blah blah blah, blah. and everyone's like oh it was horrible and then you're doing a show like i don't think this show's that good i don't know like i don't know and the reviews come out like it's, it's the most so amazing show we've ever seen like all right i have no you know, there is there is some truth to that there yeah. truly is but the and i and i over time i did develop some notions about dramatic criticism and 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 why it is what it is and how it could be better and, and other such things. But, you know, they're fond of telling me how to do my job. And if they would ask, I will tell them how to do theirs. But yeah. the, uh, but that was kind of the beginning of it. And I owe a great debt, uh, to, again, to Dr. Gretchen, uh, who still comes. I think she was here yeah. just this last week. Oh, wow. uh, she's retired now. But mm-hmm. uh, for years she brought lots of people, wrote many study guides for me. Uh, it taught me a, an enormous amount uh, about, about just the reality and what they know of Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I, it is interesting, the critics, you know, because, you know, I remember, you know, Bobby Cox had just invited, in, in, inducted to the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like the man is just an extraordinary mm-hmm. uh, at his job for so long, yeah. all those consecutive championships and everything. But you know, I remember yeah, reading in the paper, you know, people going, wow, you know, he's only got one World only Series one World there. Series. <laughs> you know, it's time to get somebody yeah. who can take us over the goal line. You know, mm-hmm. like somebody could say a goal line metaphor this for is baseball, baseball. is an idiot already. <laughs> but, you know, you'd hear that kind of thing. And the way people view leadership and, and those kinds of things, because, you know, here I was, uh, you know, I had uh, – 
found myself, I'm trying to build this company. and uh, We first got the building here on Peachtree Street in 1989. And, you know, I remember literally within the first 16 months listening to a radio uh, commentary on the show that somebody had seen and mm-hmm. and this you know there was kind of you know it wasn't vicious they weren't mean-spirited or anything they were going on and on but they they chose at the end of it to you know uh you know it, you know should we have other voices here you know is jeffrey watkins the best person to lead this company forward right. he's done a great job getting us this far mm-hmm. you know but is it time for a new voice or a new approach you know and it's like well it, we also had at this time you know we're bubbling up you know we want to have uh, you know diverse we like to have people of different races, different genders, different perspectives. You know, what do they have to say about Shakespeare? Right. You know, I, my, my approach to Shakespeare has been pretty constant. Yeah. Uh, I've only had the one or two good ideas, and I've stuck with them. Is, <laughs> you know, gosh, Shakespeare knew what he was doing. Let's, let's do what he did. But the uh, but this question, and it rang in my mind. I remember thinking to myself, gosh, are, are there people in Atlanta who could direct the plays of William Shakespeare better than me? And I thought, you know, well, it's a big city. You know, I, I, I bet there are. And, they can build their own damn theater. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was it. That was our first interview with Jeffrey Watkins. It went pretty good. I went- think so. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you very much. You know, get all of your info over at ShakespeareTavern.com. And we hope that you uh, check back regularly for the next podcast. Yeah, it'll be fun. And big thanks to our lovely engineer, Clark Weigel. Give Woo! it up for Clark, everybody. Clark Weigel. Say hi, Clark. <laughs> oh, there he is. All right, you guys. Talk to you next time. Stay Shakespeare-y. <laughs>